And after you've marked song number 23, I hope that you'll have your Bible open to that text that Brother Gary read earlier. I'm sorry, Brother Eddie read earlier. Philippians chapter 4. In fact, our lesson today will in many ways surround that book of Philippians, and so we'll be frequently referring to it. And I trust it'll be a subject of great encouragement to each and every one of us. In fact, it would be very reasonable to say that it would be my hope. And in fact, the hope, no doubt, of the famous writer Paul, who would use this lesson to encourage all of us as Christians in a very realistic way. This opening slide, this introductory one, in fact, will set before you, I hope, some of the features and some of the matters that we shall discuss this morning. There are few truths, I suspect, that are any more noteworthy, any more abundant in the Word of God than the fact that those who follow the Lord ought to appreciate the joy that life has to offer. Joy. Psalm 33, verse number 21, highlighted, We shall joy in God and will trust in His holy name. Habakkuk 3.18 highlighted, No matter what the external circumstances are, we as those devoted and determined to follow the Lord will in fact dwell in joy. I say all of that to say, isn't it still true, though, that there are many particulars in life where it seems that joy can be a rather challenging and difficult matter to bring to reality? External circumstances weigh on our heart. Circumstances in family or nation, community or otherwise, often are so challenging. Uncertainties seem perplexing. And yet, in the midst of all of that are passage after passage in the Word of God that highlights joy. Today we're going to look at the book of Philippians, four chapters. I suspect that it's true that among those that are Bible readers, probably well over half would claim Philippians as their favorite New Testament book. Now that's not in any way a reflection of sadness on the others, but there's something about the book of Philippians in which the message of joy, the message of genuine, unchained joy so readily appears. Today we're going to look at that message and make application to your heart, to your life and mine. And as we do that, we're going to be reminded just how much we have to be joyful for as Christians. It is with that in mind that may I say, we're going to divide the book by its chapters this morning. I'll go ahead and make note of the following division to you. It's been noted perhaps through the years. You can divide Philippians in the following way. Chapter 1, the purpose of life. Chapter 2, the pattern of life. Chapter 3, the prize of life. Chapter 4, the power of life. Think of what we just mentioned. The purpose of life, the pattern of life, the prize of life, the power of life. And Philippians highlights all of it. And every bit of that placed together, appreciated and applied, will lead one invariably and inevitably to a life of joy. And so in chapter 1, let's develop it like this. The centerpiece is found in verse number 21 where Paul highlights the purpose of life. Let me, in fact, pause. If I might immediately ask this question of every one of us. What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Why am I here? What goal, what destination is before you? What's your purpose in life? May I suggest to you, if that is misguided, everything else will be a mess. 
If that is not as it ought to be, it no matter what else may be said of your life or mine, it's a mess and it's a failure. To be a success, it has to start with the purpose of life. Paul said in verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus was everything to him with respect to purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ was everything with respect to Paul when it came to the purpose in life. You'll notice on that slide behind me, as you and I develop that premise, why don't we begin like this? This isn't by any means the only time that Paul, of course, had stated that to the Galatians. Hadn't he said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Who? Christ lives in me, Paul said. It isn't I any longer. When I obeyed the gospel, Paul would readily claim, I became a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ, and Christ develops in every element, in every consideration, the purpose in life for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Go back one verse earlier to Philippians 1 verse 20. There Paul said this, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. Now that's an encompassing statement, isn't it? Paul said, if I am blessed by God to live on this earth, I shall magnify Christ. But even if that's not to be the case, if my death is what the reality is, I will still magnify Christ by the way I die. And I'll magnify Him by my deliberate connection to Him in every way. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May I suggest as you and I think about then the purpose of life, are our sentiments similar to those that Paul expressed? Are the feelings and the considerations of your life and mine connected with and commensurate with these? Let's go a little bit further on that slide. I thought the following statistic was very telling. This little book only has four chapters. It only has 104 verses. And yet the six-letter word Christ, C-H-R-I-S-T, occurs 37 times in 104 verses. 37 times in 104 verses. No doubt then Christ is the centerpiece of this book, just like He is all the others in the New Testament. The features and characteristics, the purpose of life is in Christ. Notice of those 37 occurrences, 18 of them are in chapter 1. And chapter 1 only has 30 verses, and 18 times the word Christ is used. Look at some of the latter statements on that slide as we develop that appreciation a bit more thoroughly. Because isn't it true, Paul had a dramatic desire stated in verses 22 and 23. Remember, as Paul wrote this book, and I thought this would be the perfect time to insert the consideration... Paul, as we're going to see in a moment, has the overwhelming desire to appreciate joy in Christ. And yet the fact is, Paul was in prison when this book was written. Paul was in prison when this book was written. And ancient prisons in the Roman Empire bore little resemblance to modern day jails in the United States. Quite often today, our prisoners enjoy luxury and comfort and somewhat ease it wasn't true in that way in the Roman Empire. Often, you were in a very dark cell prison. 
You didn't have much food, if any, very little water, if any. The circumstances surrounding you, it was a cold and dark cell, and that's where you had to stay off and chained to the wall or to otherwise. It was exceedingly uncomfortable. And in the midst of that kind of discussion, Paul would write of joy. One of the things we learn is that joy cannot be tied to our external circumstances. If you and I are only joyful when everything is well, we're not as deep in Christ as we ought to be. Paul could be joyful even when he was persecuted. Paul could be joyful even when he was in the midst of tribulation. Paul could be happy and joyful despite what was going on around him. May I suggest all of us as Christians need to think very deliberately about that as well. Our world is always going to pose difficulties. What's going to happen with North Korea? I don't know, but I know this. God rules in the kingdoms of men, Daniel 4.25. And I know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails a whole lot more than bombs, bayonets, or anything else. And therefore, as Christians, our conviction and our deliberate sense of ease rests far higher than anything this world has to offer. Why? Because like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's add another thing to that. Not only did you notice that verse, look at verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Are you convinced, absolutely so, that what lies beyond for the Christian is better than anything this world has to offer? You see, materialism can often cloud our judgment. We enjoy everything that this world has to offer. The luxurious surroundings that we enjoy, the nice food and all the other features of life, and there's no doubt those are great blessings. But may we never forget, despite all of that, the other world for a Christian is still much better than this one. Don't you want to be a Christian? Shouldn't all of us, above all things else, have a desire to be right with God so that we can have the assurance that Paul did leaving this place? Paul did say, I've got a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but for the moment it's better for you if I stay here. And so Paul was going to stay a little while longer and preach and teach. History records that Paul was released from prison on this occasion. In other words, upon writing these epistles, the time did come Paul was released and he was able to proceed again to enjoy the opportunity of preaching the gospel in various places. However, I suppose that does bring us, there was going to come a later time in Paul's life when he was imprisoned again. The book of 2 Timothy records that one. The truth of the matter is, Paul was never released from that one. His head was struck from his body. He was sent into the world beyond this one. But he left this world as a Christian. That book of 2 Timothy, notice again, it says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, 2 Timothy 1.12. And three chapters later in 2 Timothy 4.7, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Notice the conviction that Paul understood. He knew to live as Christ, to die as gain. One last thing on that slide. The joy that Paul felt, 
led in chapter number 1 here to an express statement on his part of the joy he felt for his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you note with me verse number 4? Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. Paul knew that those saints, those brothers and sisters in Christ of his, they too would have very challenging circumstances. But Paul said, I'm thankful with joy for you, and I'm thankful for your commitment and dedication to the Lord. I suppose we could then make one final statement from chapter 1. Go near the end of the chapter with me. What demand is this place upon all of us as Christians? Verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let your conversation be befitting of the gospel. When you and I are converted to the Master and our heart is given over to Him and we feel like Paul did that to live or die, either way in Christ, everything is okay. That will motivate us day by day to a life of purity, a life of dedication to the gospel. That's how Paul felt. Only let your conversation, that means your manner of life, your daily living, let that be becoming of the gospel. Sounds a bit like that text in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, doesn't it? Where Paul said, Our vocation is such that you and I have been called to live that beautiful vocation to God, that faithfulness and that wonderful consideration. Maybe it is with that said, let's close that slide. One final thought. Verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy in faith. Does your faith bring you joy? Does it bring you joy? Are you excited about the thought of assembling to, for instance, worship God? Or is it just a drudgery, a habit? Just every Sunday, just seemingly have to find time to do it. If that's the way we feel... We're not as deep in Christ as we ought to be. We're rather shallow, quite frankly. Paul could feel joy no matter where he was to understand his connection to Christ in faith. Chapter 1 has whetted our appetite for what's to come. Notice, peace of mind was the title I gave to the lesson. And so far, we've learned Paul sure had it. Our goal is for us to have it too. So we've learned the purpose of life must be Christ. What about chapter 2? I said earlier that that one surrounded the pattern of life. Let's develop that point as well. The pattern of life. As chapter 2 begins, we're in position to appreciate immediately what it means to be a disciple. You and I often encounter the word disciple as we study the Bible. Christ had His disciples, and John the Immerser, for instance, had His disciples. A disciple means a follower. It's one who subscribes to the teachings of another. You and I are disciples, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, Acts eleven twenty six, And therefore, as those who are followers of Christ, we're disciples. We subscribe to the teachings of Jesus. In fact, we wear His name. Christian has as its first six letters the word Christ. Christians. 
No wonder then when you come to this second chapter, Philippians, these immediate points are clear. Verse 2 reads like this, Fulfill ye my joy, there's that word again, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul admonished that church in Philippi not only to dwell in joy, but let that joy be a representative of the unity that they felt, not only with Christ, but with each other, and the the like-mindedness that they exhibited. We here at the Pippin Church ought to be a unified body, unified in our realization of the blood of Jesus, unified to where we too could make reference to the joy we mutually appreciate. But we might now ask, so what motivates that? Beginning in verse 5, we're told. In verses 5 through 11, the following description is given. Let's reflect upon it perhaps in some detail for the next few moments. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. At that point you'll notice the references to Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. There's the pattern of life. You and I must live like Christ wants us to live. He's our pattern. If we have His mind, if we have the mind of Christ in us, then we will only lift high and appreciate that which He did. What did the Lord do in John 6, 38? What did Jesus there say about His purpose, His mission, His activity in life? I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Jesus' absolute mission in life was to simply do that which the Father wished Him to do, to carry out the will and work of the Heavenly Father. Again in John 6, 38. What about two chapters later in John 8, 29? There we notice Jesus very dramatically said, I always do those things that please Him. Could that be said of you and me? Always acting in life with the intent, be it in action, deed, or word, that I want to do what pleases God. Jesus said that's what He did. And if we're to have the mind in us that was in Him, that same goal should be ours. What a pattern. No wonder Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. That statement's also found in Ephesians 5. As you and I add that to the following, notice what else these verses went on to tell us. We've already learned then in chapter 2, verses 5 and following, Jesus left the greatness and the grandeur of heaven, taking the form of man. But He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that reading through verse 11, you'll notice, in the midst of all the things Jesus faced, He humbled Himself. There is no place in the life of a Christian for haughtiness or arrogance. For isn't it still true from Proverbs 16, 18? 
Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It might well then be said that as the Lord humbled himself, where does that bring you with me? Verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, step one is obeying the Master. If you have become a Christian today, why are you waiting? You've got to obey Him. If you don't, you don't have any hope. But notice what else. Even upon an initial obedience, it says, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. A daily commitment to the Master to do what He says every day of the week. To work out your own salvation. Let's develop that like this. This isn't the only place, of course, a sentiment like that is found. To be busy in carrying out the good works that God commands us. In Titus 2.14 and Titus 3.14 we read, Let ours also learn to maintain good works that they be not unfruitful. Those good works that you and I do, they're not for our glorification, but for His. He's our Master. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that's going to carry us home to glory. He's the one who purchased the church for us. All of that should heighten in us a feeling of extreme gratitude toward Him. And it should lead to joy because our joy isn't based on us. It's based on Him. He's the perfect one. No wonder then in what follows... That means in verses 13 and 14, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Complaining, that doesn't have any place in the life of a Christian. Continual, ongoing griping or whining, that's far from the attitude of joy and thankfulness that's characteristic of Christ. Do you ever remember a single time in any of the gospel accounts that Jesus complained about anything? Can even one time come to mind? Again, doesn't it remind us, despite what the circumstances in our lives may be, as Christians we have every reason to be joyful. Notice the next verse. Verse 15 is the reason. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Oh, Satan has a tremendous influence on many of the features of the world, and it's dark. It is housed in wickedness and ungodliness, and yet Christ and those who follow Him shine as bright lights. Aren't we called a city set on a hill in Matthew 5? Aren't we called the light that you don't cover it up with a bushel? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. Notice how well that provides a commentary on the verse that you and I just noted. Paul then gives us two examples before this chapter ends. So we've discussed about the pattern of life and those who were committed totally to Jesus. Example number one, verse number 19, Timothy. What a great compliment Paul gave Timothy here. Notice as I read it, verse verse number 20, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul said, I don't have anybody like Timothy. He will naturally care for you. He didn't end it for the business of himself. 
it's not his desire to exalt himself. He is genuinely concerned about you. And the next verse says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus'. Oh, what a tremendous commendation of Timothy. He truly had a desire to lift high the things of Christ. Do you and I do that too? In that sense, are we like Timothy? But note the next example, verse 25. A gentleman named Epaphroditus. We won't develop in fullness, I suppose, that statement, but would you notice what is said of him in verse 30? Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh to death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service for me. This man Epaphroditus was willing in great sickness and personal harm to himself, even if it cost him his life, he was going to serve Jesus. He was going to be the one to serve that church in Philippi. Again, what a tremendous statement of dedication, commitment, loyalty, and allegiance. So far in two chapters, Jesus Christ, the purpose of life, and Jesus Christ, the the pattern of life. What about chapter 3? Our development now brings us to the prize of life. You'll notice as chapter 3 begins, immediately before us is brought a mention of a situation that certainly isn't as pleasant. Verse number 2 says, Beware of dogs. Now, he wasn't talking about the animals we like to have as pets. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. There were those who opposed the gospel of Christ. There were those who, out of various and sundry reasons, chose to resist the things of the gospel. Paul said, Philippi, you've got to be on guard for this. You've got to watch out for it. In fact, as you jump near the end of chapter 3, Verse 18 is one of the saddest verses of the New Testament. For many walk of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Not everybody's going to obey the gospel. That brings a proverbial tear to our eye. It's so tragic, because without Christ, we know they don't have any hope. Ephesians 2 verse 12 But Paul said, the fact is, not everybody's going to obey it. And Paul shed tears because there were those who were disobedient. You and I have too, and we still do. Verse 19, though, describes their their situation like this. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. The reason they won't come to Christ... They exalt more highly the things of this earth. They love this world more than they love God. They love this world more than they love Jesus. They love this world more than they love the truth of the gospel. Paul said their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now in the midst of that description, Paul's going to use himself as a prime example. In fact, on that slide, why don't we develop it? Back in verse number 4, there were many of that particular time who, in fact, even in Philippi, they had come in, these evil workers, and they were preaching a particular message, and they often rested it upon their credentials and their capabilities. Paul said, verse 4, "...though I might also have confidence in the flesh, 
If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul said, quite frankly, if anybody has capability of resting on things of the flesh, I do. Because verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, I am exhibit A of the Jewish faith. I was a faithful Jew. I was raised at the feet of Gamaliel, Acts 22.3. But now note this. Remember, we're at least wrestling with a consideration. What about any of us considering, can I rest on my achievements, my accomplishments, my capabilities, my skills? Remember, Paul said if anybody could, he could. Let's read on. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. All of those things that Paul had just mentioned, circumcised, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, persecuting the church, blameless in the law, of the stock of Israel. Paul said, all of those I counted lost. Yea, doubtless, verse 8. And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection." and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Nothing matters, he said, but knowing him. What about you? Is your job the most important thing to you? Your house? The land you own? The cars you have? What's in the bank? If that's the most important thing to you, you're to be most pitied. You're to be most pitied. Revelation 18 says, on the day of judgment, all the riches are going to come to naught just like that. It can't buy you into heaven. It couldn't the day, again, in Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5. Maybe it is, Paul said, I count all things but loss, but one thing, but the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Is your knowledge of the Bible and the gospel and your commitment to it more important to you? Remember, the prize of life is our subject in, verse, in chapter 3. And by now you've already appreciated, no doubt, verse 13. Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth and those things which are before. As a Christian, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic? As Christians, we ought to be optimistic people. God's tomorrow is always brighter than today. Always it is. Revelation 3, verses 21 and, 20 and 21. And so, let us not be given to complaining and whining and constant murmuring. But notice here, Paul, though he had persecuted the church, I have to wrestle with the fact that I, in fact, 
had a part to play in putting Christians to death, but I've forgotten that in the sense I don't let it hinder me. Do you let your past hinder you? Do you let it bring you to the point of, shall we say, no service or appropriate service to God? May all of us, like Paul, forget what's behind and press on to what's before. There again, verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There it is, the prize of life, Jesus. Is He your prize? Is He your prize? He was Paul's prize. And as faithful Christians, He'll always be ours as well. You'll notice verse number 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. I understand that you and I are citizens of the United States of America. We were this way by birth. Or else, again, individuals can become naturalized citizens. But aren't you wonderfully impressed with the fact we are citizens as Christians in a far better country than this one? Our citizenship is in heaven. Only one stanza remains. Chapter 4. Jesus Christ, the purpose of life, the pattern of life, the prize of life. Chapter 4, the power of life. We'll close our lesson that way. But you'll notice that power of life. As it's described for us in this chapter. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. May you and I be happy and joyous individuals, not because of the physical circumstances of this earth, but because that we're in Christ. And that kind of joy leads us to notice in verse 6 the following beautiful sentiment. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Are you given to worrying? That verse says as Christians we shouldn't be. Be anxious for nothing. As I mentioned earlier, we don't need to worry about what will happen with North Korea or Iran or Germany or something else. If we believe that God rules in the kingdoms of men, Daniel 4.25 says He does, then our God will take care of these things. And whether we live or whether we die, we'll magnify Christ. Surely, verse number 8, or rather verse 7, was our lesson text. Now, and you can see how well it fits. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. The peace of God. Isn't it true that very few, it seems, living on this planet know anything about that? A life that's frenetic and chaotic and a life that's proceeding in so many different frenzied ways and yet the Christian has a peace, a peace of God because Jesus is the purpose of life, the pattern of life, the prize of life, and the power of life. In verse number 8, that statement, that sentiment will of course guard what we think about. To think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. What do you and I think about then? Do we allow too much of our day to be filled with wickedness, that which is unsound and quite frankly ugly? Amazing, isn't it? Verse 11 says, Paul, what is one consequence of this? Not that I speak in respect of want. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. 
Paul could know contentment. And you and I can too, if we're a Christian. Because in that attribute, we find that strength mentioned in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now you'll notice that strength and that reference is to the circumstances by which Paul could endure and persevere even when things around him were not terribly pleasant. Can you and I endure even in those times? May we have the dedication to. It is with that that the book closes. Paul has given us a dissertation on joy, a dissertation on peace of mind, a dissertation that can be a great blessing and benefit to us as well. Jesus Christ, the purpose of life, the pattern of life, the prize of life, and the power of life. Is He the center of your life? You are complete in Him. Colossians 2 verse 10. He is the source of all knowledge and wisdom. Colossians 2 verse 3. If you haven't relinquished and submitted your life to Him today, why not today? The book of Philippians is a masterpiece telling us the joy we can have as a Christian. If you know that, may you continue to dwell in it all the days of your life. But if you don't, why not come rushing to the side of the one who can make it available to you? We can help you today and we'd be happy to do that. The gospel plan of salvation is as follows. You're commanded to believe in Jesus with all of your heart, to repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. Upon so doing, you are brought into fellowship with Him. The very thing that Paul said that I may know Him. But after knowing Him, you can walk away from Him. And if you've done that, why not come back? Why not come back? rushing back to His side and in faithfulness make confession of those things known publicly, asking for, for prayers of brethren, and we'd be delighted to pray to God for you. Today, if we could be of help in any of these ways, we would love to do that and do it now while together we stand and while we sing.